This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, Cody Marincer talks about Iron Sharpens Iron. What is meant by this saying? Has the homosexual agenda affected men's friendships? Should men be aware of idle time? Let's find out. Here's theology instructor and cross-country coach at Thomas More Prep Marion High School, as well as pastoral assistant at St. Nicholas of Myra Parish in Hayes, Cody Marincer. Cody is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. Our guest is Cody Marinzer in his fifth year of teaching uh, sophomore and uh, senior religion at TMP Marion High School, married to Karen. They have six children. And the topic today is Iron Sharpens Iron. Cody, welcome in. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Always great to have you. We're going to talk about Iron Sharpens Iron today. What, uh, for those who may not know, it's in Scripture actually, but what does yeah. that mean, Iron Sharpens Iron? Oh, fantastic. Um, I might back up for just a minute sure. and um, start with prayer. Uh, because the Holy Spirit always does uh, so much of a better job than I do. Absolutely. So if everybody out there would begin with prayer with me, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the gifts that you have given us. We ask that you would help to us to cultivate them and use them responsibly. We pray, Holy Spirit, that uh, you would uh, speak through me today and that you would help everybody out there listening to get a better understanding of your calling for us in life. And that you would help uh, me and all of us in this, uh, in the studio here, uh, to do our utmost to uh, help everybody that we can, and uh, to uh, help ourselves in uh, coming to a stronger faith. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, very good. You know that's interesting too because a lot of times we don't pray to the Holy Spirit, um, yeah. and that's probably of, of, of you know we talk about the Trinity, but it seems like the Holy Spirit is left out sometimes. So yeah, it's great to hear that. <laughs> All right, let's talk about iron sharpens iron and what exactly that means. Oh, fantastic! Um, you know, um, in in preparing for this talk, I stumbled upon some really awesome gems, which is something that is uh, always such a fantastic thing. When, it, when you're preparing to teach, when you're preter- preparing to talk or anything like that, um, you know, it, it does obviously take that homework. And that's where we've got to get ourselves to the point of going is that, um, you know, we've got, first off, if we want to learn something more, we, we've got to look it up. But um, one of those gems was, you know, that um, as I was looking through this, I stumbled upon a guy who was actually a um, metallurgist. Um, and so that's what he does is um, he works in a foundry and he um, uh, smelts metal, you know, and he, he works with uh, different kinds of metal. And, and he said the one thing with iron is that if you have two pieces of iron um, and you're scraping them against each other, that um, before long, all of the little imperfections, all the little burrs that are on them, they'll start scraping all those burrs off. They'll start scraping off any rust that might be there and all of that other stuff. And pretty soon, they're going to polish each other down to that nice, really beautiful um, piece of metal that um, he says can even have a pearlish type sheen to it. And the way that this guy on the internet was describing it was just really cool because he was, uh, he was talking about this iron sharpens iron also. And um, so, you know, that's where um, I wanted to start with this. And the reason why this came about in the first place was um, I had the uh, the gift of being asked to come speak to the young men down at the campus center. And I was, I was thinking, you know, what do I want to speak about? I asked the young man who um, had invited me, you know, what do you want me to speak about? And he said, well, I don't know. You got any ideas? And it was one of those Holy Spirit said, you know, you know what guys need. Um, guys need reminded that um, we can't just sit back and do nothing in many situations. And, and also in the world that we live in, there's a lot that is um, being portrayed as what a man is, and it's just not true. Mm. And one of the big things that we need to remember is that it does take each of us sharpening each other, scraping those burrs off, helping us to see the beauty that is underneath, instead of just letting ourselves sit there and rust and decay. And so, you know, that's the starting point of this talk. I would say then from there, 
that another really great pearl that I pulled off of um, a little bit of the, the, the uh, preparation for this talk is that um, the same guy that was um, talking about um, the properties of metal and stuff that I was reading on, he said, you know, there's, there's an element that is really, really important to our existence because it's in our blood. And, you know, everybody out there right now, you know, what, think about what that might be. Well, if you've ever gone to donate blood, you know that if your iron mm -hmm. is not high enough, you can't you donate, donate blood. blood. Right. And it was, it was one of those things where I was sitting there, and as I read it, I was like, that is awesome. Because as I'm, you know, preparing for this talk, giving this talk on iron sharpens iron, we look, the, you know, to the very thing that we see our existence depends on us having enough blood in our body. And we know that um, a deficiency in iron can cause um, anemia. You know, and that then can cause things like shortness of breath, it can cause heart palpitations, it can cause fatigue. And when we liken that then to our spiritual life, and we go, do I not have enough iron in my spiritual life? Well, we get the same thing. You know, um, spiritual sloth, which is also known as acedia, we can get that very easily, you know, where we, um, it goes beyond just being kind of spiritually lazy to almost the point of contempt even. And uh, we, we can get really drowned out. We can really get that shortness of spiritual life that um, we can get that, uh, I'm just kind of tired of this, you know, I'm too tired to go to mass on Sunday morning, yeah, let's just leave it be. And so that's where we need then, I, was, I, I then tie it into, you know, where do people get blood transfusions and where do they come from? You know, well, when people have that, a loss of blood from whatever it might be, they get transfusions from other people. You know, they get, they get that iron back in them that they need from other people. And then for us as Catholics, the really beautiful piece about this is that our ultimate transfusion that gives us the iron of eternal life is at the Mass. And so it really, it dumbfounds me when I hear people say that they've left the church because they weren't being fed. Hmm. And, and I feel so I feel so sorry for those people because I, in coming to the faith many years ago, I look at the Eucharist um, for what it is, and and I, you know God has just given me this grace to be able to see that without that we don't have that spiritual life that we need. And so if people are sitting there thinking that they're going to mass and they're not being fed, you know, um, their bodies aren't getting the iron that it needs, well, it's because you're not availing yourself to that sacrament like you need to. If you were, you would find yourself with more iron than you would know what to do with. <laughs> right, right. It, that's very interesting. And this is something, this topic is so near and dear to me because, because now more than ever, we need, um, you know, men to step up. Um, the family and John Paul II talked about as the family goes, so goes the church. Yeah. And that's really true. But I think it, it I, I take it a step back even it's as the father goes, so goes the family. So goes yep. the church. So goes the world. There's so many guys that, you know, the thing that saddens me more than anything is to see mom and the kids at church. I'm, I'm glad they're there. Don't get me wrong. But mm -hmm. where's dad? There's so many times dads are not involved in the faith in any way. They're saying that responsibility goes to the school or and not. And I'm saying that because that's where I was. And I was I was just totally I totally missed the point. So we sometimes, uh, you know, and as fathers, Guys need to understand that, that how important it is their role is spiritual leadership is really where it comes down to. But I don't use that term because it scares guys a little bit. Um, <laughs> I just say, would you want do you want to be a better father? And the way we do that, just like you said, iron sharpens iron. We we help each other. We work with each other. We we support each other. And, and so I love this topic because it's it's really it's one of those things that is one of my missions is yeah. to see happen. So. That is fantastic. So let's talk about this a little bit as far as how does the culture prevent men from forming meaning, meaningful friendships with other men? I know that there's we're so bombarded with so many things going on in our culture today, but let's talk about that a little, if you would. Oh, yes, fantastic. First off, when we do look out at the culture, I really don't have to do much to convince people that uh, that. Uh, it looks at men and it tries to tell us men that we really just need to take a back seat in everything. 
Um, you know, especially with a lot of the very prominent feminism mm. out there. It has come in such waves that it has just really beat down men of society and taught us, you know, that um, our relationships with other men don't go past um, drinking beer and watching sports and looking at pornography. I mean, that's that's really what you look at, mm -hmm. you know, when you're looking at society and, well, what does society teach us about that? Um, and also through that um, feministic lens, um, I've learned a lot about from Father Fred about this and from reading um, other places. But um, uh, feminism, when you're not just talking about uh, when you're not just talking about women should have equal rights, everybody right. can get behind that. Right. But when you talk about the um, uh, the feminists who are really pushing the ideology of um, it's a it's a Marxist Marxist ideology of that two people cannot grow together that the only reason that one person gets ahead is on the back of the other, well, that Marxist ideology goes into the feminist ideology, which then has been pushed on men and into society, basically saying, women, you're being held down by your husbands. Mm -hmm. And the only reason why your husband is ahead in life, the only reason why your children are going to get ahead in life is because on your back, you're the one carrying everything. You need to get out there and uh, liberalize yourself, right? You need to get outside of the family, um, which is why we see, uh, once again, when men pull back from that and men say, okay, fine, I'm just going to shy away. I'm going to get beat down and go hunker in this little corner, all right? Um, I'm not going to have a bunch of children because I'm told that that's a bad thing. Um, I'm not going to be the leader of my household because anybody can be a leader. And um, my wife, she has a stronger voice than I do. And since she has the stronger voice, then I'm not going to leave my family. I'm going to let her do it. And like you said, it, women, they uphold such great roles in all kinds of things. And if people would look at the beauty of the Catholic Church and what it teaches and why it teaches that, um, and then going back to this topic about men being men and sharpening each other, clear back in the garden, we've got Adam who is told to keep and cultivate the garden. Right. He had duties, and his main duty was if anything comes into this garden that shouldn't be there, it's your job as protector right. to get rid of it, which makes you go, well, Adam, what the heck were you doing when your wife was he eating failed, fruit? He failed miserably. <laughs> exactly. He did not shamar the garden, as they say. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and so that's the problem with um, our culture really wants men to take a step back mm -hmm. and say we don't have a special role. All right. Um, everybody is exactly the same in everything. We're not called to be leaders. And we really need to just kind of hang out at baseball games, drink our beer, um, send pornography to each other, laugh at dirty jokes, and then call it good. Because that's all that really manhood exists of. Right, right. So. And that's very interesting. And we we talk about we were talking earlier just in the last hour about television shows and how they've changed. And one of the things that I, I really took note of, too, even with the, the role of the father figure, if you look at television um, back in the day, you had Andy Griffith. Uh, he was a single father because his, his wife died. But he. You know, you sh he was he was forming his son yeah. in a proper way. You had John Walton, for example. You had um, uh, Ward Cleaver. Today, it's more like it's it's Peter Griffith. It's um, you know Al Bundy, and that's going back a few years. But Al Bundy, who was you yeah, know yeah. they're they're all they're all just kind of goofballs, right? And just totally. Um, when you look at the uh, today, is there a show on TV that you can watch today where the role of the father is truly that being that true spiritual leader and, and true father of the household? I don't know that there's a show. You have Modern Family where you have it's a show where there's what two gay father, you know, two gay guys that are fathers. That's what we're seeing today. We that has that has been lost. True fatherhood has been lost, yep. and we don't even see it. I don't. I'm trying to think of a show, and I don't watch a lot of new shows today at all because I think they're bad. They're yeah, I don't watch shows. Cable, so, so you <laughs> know, the only old shows that are that are out there are, are the the good shows out there on some of the older shows that I'll watch from time to time. But when you, if you try to think about that, I don't know if there is such a thing today as a father that's really being the good leader of the family and being the head of the household yep. as he should be. And again, that's not saying he's holding down his wife. That's not exactly. at all. That's what. That's the other thing that we hear from this is women uh -huh. are being held down, and that's totally crazy. Uh, but we don't see that today, so it's it's sad. And so we talk about those 
the interesting thing is is to get guys together and it's not drinking beer just like you talked about drinking beer and talking about sports and sending each other pornography there are men who are developing meaningful relationships with other men because they want to be better fathers and so they may have a beer yep. but the conversation is about Christ the conversation is about how do we you know here's some things I'm struggling with you know and they're helping each other yeah iron sharpens iron yeah and you know you you made a lot of good points there that I would hit on and um, part of that is you're exactly right that um, you know there's nothing obviously there's nothing wrong with sitting down and having a beer with your buddies as long as you're of age obviously right um, and yeah. there's nothing wrong with watching a sports game okay um, obviously there is something wrong when you start um, delving into pornography that is a huge scourge of our society and our society wants to tell you oh there's nothing wrong with it it's just fine it's just part of the male genome you know like just whatever when we look at those things, you know, those first couple things, um, even though there's nothing wrong with them, they are at a very superficial level. And it's okay to have friends where, you know, you just enjoy a beer, you just uh, spend time at a ball game and stuff like that. But at some point, a true friendship does have to go to that deeper level. And when we look out at the media as how they portray that, and one of the reasons why I think that guys are afraid to sharpen others is because we have in our society so upheld the homosexual ideal that it's almost like if I ask another guy out to coffee because I want to have a serious conversation with him and I'm sitting there with another guy drinking coffee, people are going to look at us like, are they gay? You know, and I, I hate using that terminology, but everybody knows what I'm talking about when right. I say that. Yeah. Um, and so we almost we get this fear as men of being looked at by others like, Oh, well, I know how they are, you know, and, and stuff like that. And, and and we shouldn't, you know, first off, we should worry about what God thinks about us. Right. But also, you know, that's another problem that society has thrown at us. Is, and it's 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 one of those great tactics of Satan is if I can pull men apart from each other and make them feel weird about being about sitting down with each other and having an honest conversation, then I'm going to win the day. Because when it comes to a battle, which nobody should kid themselves in this life, that there is a spiritual battle going Absolutely. on for our souls. And when it comes to a battle, it's real easy to pick off one guy with an entire army. But you start getting lots of guys put together and you start getting some generals in that army. And then people start getting afraid. You know, then the army, then the enemy starts looking at you like, oh, boy, we're going to have to come up with another plan. And that's exactly why Satan doesn't want us doing this. I mean, he, he must absolutely hate hearing iron sharpen iron. I mean, he must be screaming. And if you had hair pulling his hair out, you know, because um, just the thought of two men getting together and saying, I struggle with this. Um, can you help me? You know, because I know I've heard you mention before, you struggle with it. What do you do? And as soon as two men start going, hey, you know what? This works for me in, li in my life. Or, hey, I just read this last night. Read this. Um, as soon as we start doing that, I mean, you can almost see him. If you've seen the Passion of the Christ um, when uh, Jesus gets crucified, I um, mean, it shows that scene of Satan just in this barren wasteland looking up and just screaming. Right. That's what I imagine. And that kind of helps you. That fills you with that um, holy burning desire to help others um, in their faith is when you kind of think of that and, and realize at this moment, I'm driving Satan nuts because I'm helping somebody in their faith. Right, right. You know, and so we've got to get past that point of feeling weird about having true relationships with another man. And another problem is I think that when we say that, we've also had in our society, we've been told that having relationships with other men is sitting around a campfire, singing kumbaya, mm. getting in touch with our feminine yeah, side. Yeah. <laughs> you know, men don't have a feminine side. And I'm not saying we don't have feelings, right? There's a difference. When people say, get in touch with your feminine side, they, you know, they want us to, to break us down into these little weak things that, you know, need to kind of sit in a corner and be coddled. And, and you know, um, let's, uh, let's watch a movie and ball our eyes out at it, you know. Um, and, and 
so once again, it's not that we don't have emotions, but it's that our society wants us to dumb it down to not understand true emotion and what true manhood is. Talking on iron sharpens iron. One of the things, uh, and I have conversations with guys all the time about this, and we're actually working on a number of diff- di- different, uh, really initiatives that are kind of we fly it below the radar, which I'll explain later. But the point is, is women desire for men to take that role and be the spiritual leader. Yes, they do. And when that happens, the numbers are staggering as far as when the mother is the spiritual leader and the father becomes the spiritual leader, or when the mother's really plugged into the faith, a lot of times dad's not. Um, Kids, the number I think is 27% of the kids continue in their faith life. When dad steps up and is involved in his faith, the number goes to like 93%. The numbers are absolutely huge. And that's the other thing that is so important, too, is the reason why dads need to. And I tell dads, too, that when I talk to them, I say, look, guys, you do not have to be a theologian, right? Jesus walked, he picked up some dumb fishermen. And I said, they were just regular guys. We don't have to be theologians to be spiritual leaders of our household, but we have to take those steps. We have to, and it is by doing just what you're talking about here, talking with other men, sharpening each other. And then once the kids see that, they're going to see, you know, kids, the saying is kids listen to 50% of what you say, but they watch 100% of what you do. And if we, um, you know, fathers can understand that, great things can happen. Yeah. I actually have a a, kind of a funny story that would go with that, that you jog my memory here. Um, And... Just like women really do appreciate when a man steps up and does his role as a man in the family, so also in the spiritual life, women really appreciate that. I, I remember this time, it was several years ago um, at our uh, my wife and I's first house, and um, we were asleep already. I think it was about four in the morning. And all of a sudden, I'm jerked out of sleep because I hear something hit our flagpole outside and then something hit the door. And I tear off running out of bed and I make it to the front door and I'm standing there ready to take on whatever's coming through that door. And by the time I realize it, you know, I've jumped out of bed and I've just been jerked out of sleep. Um, And so I've got that blood rushing to my head and I'm standing there about to pass out going, okay, whatever's coming through this door, they're going to get whatever I have. And so nothing comes through and I kind of peek out and I realize it was the paper boy. The paper boy, I don't know what he was doing up at like four in the morning delivering the paper. And so I wander back to bed, though, and I'm just kind of hanging my head like, oh, I'm an idiot. Here I'm jumping out of bed thinking I'm going to tackle some dude coming into my house, and it's simply the paper boy. But it was really kind of funny because my wife goes, that was awesome. (laughs) What are you talking about? She goes, you just jumped out of bed like that? That was really cool. And I go, honey, I about killed the paper boy, <laughs> you know, but she it was just one of those things where, you know, it was it wasn't a planned thing. It was just something that um, men and us, we do have um, to some extent the understanding that we're supposed to protect our families. And it was just it was just one of those instinctive moments. And, and I'm not a really confrontational guy, you know, so if you know me, you know, that's not generally me. I don't I don't. Don't like to get in fights or anything like that, and, and and so it was just one of those times where I, you know I think for the next couple of days I walked around with my chest puffed out. I think I was probably about <laughs> six six and two seventy five. You know, oh yeah, I'm here the big man protecting my family from the paper boy. <laughs> you know, but it, it really was one of those things where when she had said that, it did bring it to light, um, and especially then thinking about the spiritual life. Um, you've got to know that men out there, that your girlfriends, that your uh, or that uh, your wives, your girlfriends, when they see you living out the spiritual life, and they see you connecting in real relationships with other men, challenging each other to grow, that is that's beautiful. And if men, I mean, if you want to, if you want to attract a woman, <laughs> live your faith. Mm. Exactly. Live your manhood. Yeah, great, great point. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening on your radio computer, smartphone app, or Amazon Echo, 
please know. We'll be right back with more about Iron Sharpens Iron with Cody Marincer. On one body stewarding God's creation. Stewarding God's creation. Iron sharpens iron. With Cody Marincer. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Iron sharpens iron is the topic in, in biblical times. Let's talk about that man who maybe helped other men, or men who sharpened other men in biblical times. I think we, we see that in a number of places through Scripture. We do. Um, uh, one of my favorite places is um, I'm in the uh, book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, and uh, chapter 18. And so we're on the person of David. And David has a friend whose name is Jonathan. And Jonathan is actually the son of of King Saul, the first king of the Israelite nation. And so all of that factors in really big um, because Jonathan and David here, I'm just going to read you verse uh, 1 through 4 in chapter 18. And it says, when David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. There is so much that is being said in just those four lines. First off, when we look at that and we go, what in the world kind of relationship do these guys have? Well, I will never know this hopefully, because I've never been, I mean, uh, hopefully I'll know genuine relationship, but I'll never know the relationship that Jonathan and David had because they went off to war together. You know, I've never been to war. I know people that have. And what I do know is that if you're standing there next to somebody and you're about to die and somebody saves your life, imagine the connection that is there. You know, we hear in Scripture, there's no greater gift than to lay down one's life for a friend. I mean, they're on, that's what Jonathan and David are on a level of. They've gone to war with each other, and David was um, a great warrior. And if you've gone to war and had each other's back, and quite possibly um, you're the reason why the other person is alive, then you've got a connection there that is like no other. But that doesn't mean that those of us who haven't been in a physical battle can't have relationships that then approach that level or get to that level. And what we see, though, then, is Jonathan being the son of Saul. Why this very last part where it says Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. A lot of people might be like, what is the deal there? I mean, couldn't Scripture have left that out? Father Fred has often told me, you know, there are no wasted words in Scripture. Well, if there aren't wasted words, then why are those in there? And that, if you actually have um, some translations actually say in the footnote, it says, with the details in this verse, the narrator identifies David as Jonathan's replacement as Saul's heir to the throne. So the thing is, by this point in Scripture, David had already been uh, anointed by Samuel as the next king, but Saul is still sitting on the throne, and he hasn't been killed. Um, he hasn't been taken from the throne, and David is letting God's will work up until the point where he'll become king. Jonathan, having this relationship with David, will know this background information. And imagine today's world. In today's world, if we have somebody who is sitting at the absolute high prominent position in society, and they have a son, a prince, you know, how likely is it that that prince is going to say, here, I take everything that I have, which is why, once again, there's no wasted words in scripture. When he takes all of that stuff and it says that he makes a covenant with David, a covenant is completely different than a contract. Right. A contract can be made between two enemies even, where I do this, you do this. A covenant brings people into a family relationship. 
And what Jonathan is doing is he is saying, by taking off all of that and divesting it to David, he's saying, I give you your rightful throne as where I would normally have it. I give up that position of honor, and I give it to you because I know God has called you to it. That gives me goosebumps even thinking about it because when we look at today's world, it's very selfish. And how many people out there would take themselves from that absolute post of prominence and say, if it is God's will that you are here instead of me, then I remove myself from it because I will do nothing to get in the way of God's will. Which brings me to the humility <coughs> prayer. Right. If, if you've ever prayed the humility prayer. Uh, that's not an easy prayer. It's hard. Prayer. Yeah, it's, uh, it's awful. <laughs> yes, it is. You know, and so that's, that's the beginning of what true friendship looks mm. like, sacrificing for one another. But there's one other, there's one other thing that I want to show um, in the Old Testament that really talks about the other aspect of this iron sharpening iron. Um, so this is actually going up now to the point of where David has become king, and he has entered into his sins. And if you've never read the books of First and Second Samuel, you got to go and read them. Right? As an adult, definitely read them. If you're um, uh, if you're uh, a parent to children, maybe you should paraphrase it um, because there's just some stuff in there that like, wow, that is crazy stuff. But we're up to the point of um, David where he has committed his sin with Bathsheba. We have him trying to cover it up then, and it doesn't work. And so then he uh, kills Bathsheba, who is Uriah the Hittite. You know, so now he's guilty of adultery. He's guilty of uh, murder. Right. And we have this point where Nathan the prophet comes in to talk to David. And so now I'm in Second uh, Samuel 12, and I'll read just a little bit here. Um, verse 1. And it says, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him. And so this is where Nathan goes to the king. Now put yourself in Nathan's shoes, Mm -hmm. right? You're a prophet. You're going up to (coughs) the king, mind you, right? King David, one of the greatest kings of the Israelite nation, who if he wants to, can have you beheaded on the spot or just do it himself or have you exiled, he, throw in prison. He can do whatever he wants to you because he's the king and he has all this power, right? And so Nathan, the prophet, comes to him with this message. He says, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to, t- to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now imagine that. Once again, if I was Nathan and I was in his shoes, I may have just peed down my leg a little yeah. bit on that one. I mean, you've, you see, I mean, Nathan knows what he's coming with, yeah. and he's not going to back down from it. But that took extreme courage to do that because then Nathan says, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom, and you and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? And then it goes through and reminds him of his sinfulness that he entered into and what the punishment for it is going to be. And that's the other aspect of this iron sharpens iron. Number one, we have to be willing to sacrifice for each other. But number two, we have to, in a loving manner, call each other out when we need to. Right. If we sit there and let each other persist in our sins, then we're going to let our we're, we're sitting there watching our iron rust. We're watching. I mean, you can imagine there are a lot of car enthusiasts out there. If we had somebody who bought just a pristine classic vehicle 
and then sat it outside and stripped it down and watched it just wither away, you'd have so many people up in arms going, what are you doing? And especially if it started getting rust, you know you'd have those friends that pointed out and they're like, look, man, if you don't take care of this now, this awesome classic vehicle, which aren't very many left, it's going to be gone. Now take that to our souls. We only have one soul and it has eternal consequences. So for us to sit back and watch our friends' souls rust and just go, eh, you know, maybe the rust will take care of itself. No, we've got to be like Nathan. We have to remember, you know, we've we've got to always do it in a charitable manner. Right. But we need to be willing to be like the prophet Nathan and go to our friends and go, hey, look, what you're doing is not good. This is going to destroy your life. It's going to destroy other lives. And you've got to know we got to turn this boat around. Mm. The, the first, when we talked about where it is in Scripture, it was Nathan and David was the first thing that came to my mind. And you think nice. about the challenge for Nathan, and to your point, it was like, I would have been, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm getting into here, but yeah. I'm pretty brave. So, you know, this is, um, it would have been great to have two hours because I think we could use it. I think we I could really probably. Um, <laughs> yeah. But let's talk about some of Satan's tactics um, that prevent men from spiritually helping other men. All right, fantastic. <clears throat> I'm going to stay in the story of David, and I'm going to back up to his sin. So in 2 Samuel, then chapter 11, notice the wording used here. It says, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. So what we always have to do is, once again, put ourselves in this story, put ourselves in David's shoes. If I'm King David, I'm the guy who slayed Goliath. I'm the guy who's been out in many wars. I ran from King Saul. I was anointed the new king. You know, I've, had, I've seen all this craziness in my life. I'm used to being busy. I'm used to being at war. I'm used to being a king and doing things. We see there that probably what's going on is everybody else is off to war. The Israelite kingdom, where he is at, is in relative peace. So there's not a whole lot maybe that he's doing and he lets himself fall into boredom. You know, people who are used to being busy and taking care of things, when they sit back and they just go, hmm, now what do I do? You know, we've all heard the the, the line that idle hands are the devil's playground. Um, I honestly believe in that. Mm. And that doesn't mean that we should busy ourselves. to the, that's, that's another trick of Satan. Right, you know, right. You've got to be so busy that you can't concentrate on anything else. But we just have to be careful that in those times of boredom or in those times of letdown, of ease, when maybe we're not running, running, running and taking care of everything else, that we're using it to do something good that we're maybe reading scripture, that we're listening to a talk on radio. I'll be doggone. Um, that we're <laughs> doing something that's going to keep us from going, okay, I'm bored. What can I feel this with? Because immediately then it says, it happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about. See, you can once again see that kind of just lazy meandering about, eh, I'm bored. I would like something that would give me some pleasure at the moment. What can I do to bring that about? And on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And right there, this is where I want people to really take themselves into understanding their sinfulness. One of Satan's tactics is to tell us at the moment of temptation that we have to have this pleasure, whatever pleasure it is. You know, obviously we see here in um, David's sin, we see that it is a uh, the sexual pleasure of adultery. And whether it's that or whether it's gluttony, whether it's, you know, there's a myriad of things that we could mention. Satan wants to tell us in that moment, you have to have this pleasure. And instead of taking a few minutes, maybe even just 60 seconds, to step back and go, why do I have to have this pleasure right now? If I don't have this pleasure right now, what am I going to miss out on? But we don't sit and reason through. Very often, we let our emotions take over Mm. and our imagination take over. 
And when we do that, oh boy, it runs wild. And that's Satan's, uh, he loves that game. You know, that's one of his favorite games. If I can get you to stop reasoning about why you're doing this and just let you answer according to your emotions, then you're going to give in every time. And here's the, here's the other tactic of it. When we fall into that and we go, I do have to have this, I do have to have this. If I don't have this, you know, I don't know what we're thinking. We don't. We don't think. Because what, what are you going to do? Are you going to die if you don't have this? No. Like, what's going to happen if you miss out on three seconds of pleasure? Um, nothing. I'm actually going to become a more virtuous man. Okay, then do that. You know, but we don't listen to that. Right. And so when we fall into that sin, the next thing Satan does is, um, let's just take uh, pornography, for instance. Satan will tell young men, and it's not just young men. Women have a problem with this also. It just tends to be more of a men's problem. And tell them that exact thing. You have to have this now or the world's going to fall apart. Okay, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And so they look. And then as soon as you look, Satan goes, you are a disgusting creature. You can't even handle yourself to not look that one time. You don't deserve forgiveness. You don't deserve mercy. In fact, if I was you, I'd kind of crawl in a little hole. And so he tells us that we need it. And then he tries to get us to feel um, just completely disgusted and look that I'm not worthy of mercy so that we won't go back to confession. And then he hits us with it all again. Oh, this is a beautiful thing. You just need to look at this woman's beautiful body. You have to do it. You need this pleasure and it'll be great for you. It'll fulfill you. And then you do it. And once again, you disgusting little wretch. What is wrong with you? And he, the, by, the, by that process, he slowly beats men and women down into a little corner then of, I'm not really a man, am I? And we then just have to constantly keep feeding that monster in that dark little corner because it's all we know after a while. Right. And if that becomes the medication. That sin becomes the medication in a sense where we go back to it. You talk about idle, idle time and, and just that laziness we can get into. And I think that's most men when they talk about their struggle with pornography happens when they just have time on their hands, yep. when they're doing. And just to... And I was, as you were talking about David, David and Bathsheba here, I was just thinking of as he goes to the window, well, for men today, that window is the computer screen. Oh, yeah. And it's really very much the same thing. You and got we it. see that and, and that struggle, it's huge. The porn industry today is making $3,100 a second. Yeah. $3,100 a second. More than all the uh, pro sports teams combined. The numbers are crazy. There's a new porn video out every 38 minutes. Um, there's 28,000 people searching porn a second. The numbers are staggering. And <laughs> it, is. it is something that we, we and it's, it's just amazing. And it's tearing apart families. It's doing so many different things. It's, uh, you know, uh, for not only families, but I mean, marriages are being so affected by yep. it. Um, and it's just, it's one of those things that we've uh, got to get a hold on. And uh, it's an uphill battle without a doubt because the numbers are so crazy. But there there are initiatives out there, there's things being done and guys making things happen. And uh, so that's one of those things though that, is, is, you know, Satan, it, it's, a, it's a perfect place to yep. put guys. <clears throat> Let's talk about True character, if you would. What uh, what can you oh, tell right. us about? Let's talk about that. Well, you know, true character differs from when people say, oh, yeah, he's a really good guy. You know, a lot of times when people say that um, in, in today's world, it might just mean that lots of people like him. You know, there are lots of people of character who people don't like, and it's because they don't follow the way of the world, and they don't try to please everybody. They speak the truth. And when you speak the truth, then that's what builds character, not just I want everybody to like me. And so, you know, going to staying on the same vein that we've been on, um, what does character look like? Well, when Nathan reproved David, David had a couple of choices. You know, one was as the king, I'm going to get angry. I'm going to take you out and you're going to shut your mouth. But here's David's response. In verse 13, it says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, now the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. And it goes on after that. 
after being reproved by his brother, you know, his brother in God, he doesn't act out in anger. He takes a step back and says, I know that I've done wrong. Thank you for calling me out on this. I need to atone for my sin. And that, folks, is why David is known as such a good king. Yeah, he had a couple of really huge sins. But in the midst of those huge sins, he understood his sinfulness. He took the sharpening of his friend, and he repented for that. And so we as men, how do we build character? Well, one way I would say is something that you can already mention. And that was um, Sarah Swafford came to TMP here a couple of years ago. And she said that um, as she was giving a talk one time, she had some, uh, some college guys come up and talk to her after the talk. And they said that they've got a group of guys together that have all struggled with pornography. And so what they do, now obviously they each know, you know, well, I struggle with this because they get a, they've got the group together and they hold one another accountable. We well, you know the way that they hold each other accountable? If one of them slips up, first thing they do is they admit it. They don't hide in the corner. They don't say, oh, I'm just not going to tell anybody, right? They hold each other accountable. They admit to it. All the others that are in that group immediately fast on nothing but water for 24 hours. I can't hardly get myself to do that during Lent where it's required. And I love Lent because it, it requires me to do something and it helps me build my character. But for can you imagine getting that phone call at midnight when you're already sleeping and your brother in Christ has just said, I am so sorry. I let you guys down. I let myself down. I slipped up. But then can you imagine going, I've got you, brother. Yeah, wow. And for the next 24 hours knowing whatever my schedule is, I've got nothing but water in my system, but I'm going to offer this that up is for my brother. That is really powerful. <laughs> when I heard that, I was just, I was blown away because, you know, that's one way that we can do it, but there are so many other ways. I see that we're running out of time here, and so I'm going to have to really blow through some stuff really quick. But some other very, very good ways are um, when, we're, when we're around other men that we're friends with, how often do we laugh at dirty jokes, you know? And why do we do that? Mm -hmm. um, why can we not be the man that stands up and maybe not just goes, that was stupid, but, you know, be the man that sits there and goes, you know, that was a dirty joke. There, there's no laughing matter in it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not going to laugh at it. Or maybe even get up and, and just, okay, I'm going to excuse myself from this conversation. Um, when there's gossip going on, why can we as men not stand up when we know somebody's reputation um, being tarnished in one way or another? Why do we sit there and listen to it very often and either kind of, yo, yeah, 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 or just maybe don't say anything and just kind of sit there and kind of act like maybe we go along with it? We as men need to be men, and we need to stand up and go, you know, actually, I know that guy is a pretty good guy. Um, I've never had any issues with him, and even if I did, I know that um, they stick to their guns when it comes to it. And, you know, that would probably squash that sure. right there. But instead, we let that monster be fed. You know, when we're out, um, when we're out playing sports with each other, you know, having old man basketball or anything like that, which I probably can't do anymore because it hurt my ankle old really bad basketball. last year doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but anything there, you know, for some reason, we think as guys that um, very often that um, once we get around a bunch of guys going back to at the beginning of the hour, it's got to center around filthy language and naked ladies. And. That's that's a lie that the society has sold us. Mm -hmm. Why can we not, when we're out there um, playing basketball, when we're out there having a golf game, why can we not be speaking about our faith in Christ? I've got a good friend who just moved away, and I failed here in this regard because he, he's a great Christian man, and he's interested in the Catholic Church, and I only got to know him for about two years. But during those two years, I knew that. I knew that he was in interested in the Catholic faith, and I knew that he's a great Christian man and, and um, trying his hardest, and I never sat down with him. I never sat down and said, let's talk about our faith in Jesus. 
let's talk about the church. Let's oh. talk about why I believe it holds the truth. And I told him that on the, the last day um, that I saw him before he left, I said, I failed you. And he looked at me, you know, and, and he said, uh, he goes, you know, uh, looking at you and looking at your example, he said, I wouldn't say that you failed me. And I said, well, let me explain myself. <clears throat> I said, I know that you're interested in the church. And here we've been friends for two years. And I never once sat down with you and had a conversation about our faith. We've had other conversations about other important things in our life. And we've asked each other to pray for each other. But we never did sit down and say, hey, let's talk about this Jesus guy. Right. And so I'm hoping now to continue my conversation with him. But I feel bad because now he lives a very long way away and we can't Mm -hmm. do it face to face, which is what men need to do. We need to learn once again that we need to talk to each other face to face. We need to man up and we we need to hold each other accountable. And even do things like, um, I got a great friend, uh, Mr. Bill Mayer, uh, up at TMP. And he's so good at just um, giving me a book or sending me a video or something. And he just says, read this, watch this. He doesn't go, hey, if you've got some time, why don't you maybe check this out? He, he's really good. He's got, a, he's got more of a forceful personality than right. I do. Right. But he is really good at just going, man, this is awesome. Read it. And that's what we as guys need to do. We need to just put stuff in front of each other and go, you got to read this. And if, you know, if you've put it in front of them and said, hey, here you go, and they don't do it, well, then obviously that's on them. But we need to right. teach each other. Be bold just do about it. it. Be just bold. do it. Yeah. Let's talk about how fathers can teach their sons to be good, godly men. Obviously, I think probably first and foremost is be that good example. Yes. You know, as you said, you're exactly right, that um, children will listen to what you're saying, but they'll follow what you're doing. Um, Now, obviously, there are some examples, but very, very often, you know, that's what it's going to be. And so as as fathers, if, if you want your children to grow up right, you know, I, I can't speak a whole lot because my oldest is 11. So many of you have more knowledge and um, have more experience than I do. But what I can say in my life is that I'm trying. And that's what we need to do is we need to try. And so we've got to, number one, we got to be willing to admit our faults. I think that's another lie society has told us that as a man, if you fail, you just kind of hide it, right? Uh, One of the hardest things I've ever had to do is when I was at fault with my children and I had to go apologize to my oldest son. You know, we shouldn't apologize for things that we rightfully do. And we shouldn't apologize when we rightfully punish our children because they need it. And so I hope nobody's getting me wrong there thinking that the children rule the house and stuff like that. But if we honestly do something that we shouldn't do, and our children see that, we have to be the example that mans up and says, I was wrong, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have done that, and please know that I don't want you to follow that example, and I will try my hardest not to do that again. And so that, I think, is one of the big ones. Also, uphold women for the beautiful being that they are. Um, make sure that you're telling your sons that um, a woman has the dignity of being the daughter of our heavenly king and that we don't treat them any other way. My daughter is my princess. I've got two daughters now, and so mm-hmm. I've got two little princesses. Mm-hmm. And my sons, I've told them before, um, you know, and just kind of joking one time, I think I asked my boys, I said, hey, what do you do if daddy ever dies? Protect mommy and our sisters. And it's been a while. I think I need to remind my brothers or my sons about that. Cody, always so. a pleasure having you come in. I wish we had more time because yeah, there's so much we haven't talked about. But we certainly appreciate you taking time and sharing this. This so this information so wasn't so important. So thanks for coming in and thanks for all you do. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's One Body Show, stewarding God's creation. Let us know what you thought of this show by going to dvmercy.com and click on the one body icon the comment button is in the middle of the page also if you can help this nonprofit station pay its monthly bills please go to dvmercy.com and click on donate you're listening to divine mercy radio 101.7 kmdg hayes 105.7 kjbm lindsberg salina 88.1 krtt great bend and 88.1 kbdm hayes if today you hear his voice harden not your hearts